All right. Uh, where do you want to turn? <laughs> I'll have you skip to our second verse. So you'll go to Luke chapter 13 today. Luke chapter 13. I've been teaching a series called The Real God. All right? And uh, our text for this series is Psalm 34, 8. So let's read that together up off the screen. Say it out loud with me. Off the screen. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. And so in describing, presenting uh, the real God, one of my primary emphasis is that the real God is good. He is not what often religion has painted him out to be, mean or angry or just out to get you or he doesn't want to do good things for your life. He truly is a good God, and that's what David here is writing, inspired by the Spirit. He says, in essence, if you're not sure, taste. Check for yourself. Have a firsthand experience with God. You will most certainly, undoubtedly, come away from your experience with God saying, whoa, (laughs) wow, (laughs) he is so good. Sometimes you'll say, he's not what I thought he was. He's not what I believed for many years. The things of God, uh, uh, See, some people stay away from God because of what they think he is, and it's not true. Sometimes people stay away from church because they're of their idea of church, okay? And God has been misrepresented. Sometimes some of us have been at fault in that. But I don't want anyone to uh, stay away from the Lord because of a, they didn't like the false representation. They didn't like the, the picture we created. It's like, ah, what, how tragic is that? You rejected the Lord because I misrepresented him. And so I can't control that, but what I want to do is do my utmost best to present him properly, accurately, precisely. Now, I want to know him precisely for my own benefit too, because if God is good, yet I'm not sure or I'm not con- fully convinced that he's good, that's gonna limit my walk with him. Because if I don't think he's for me or loving or kind or wanting to do good things in my life, I'm not going to be as close to him as if I believed he is the way he is. And I could say it this way, my experience of God's goodness, in other words, my good life, we all want a good life, my good life is tied to my belief about God's goodness towards me. If I don't believe he's good, I will not be able to expect him to do good things. I'm going to be in question. Right? And without faith, it's impossible to please him. So I, I need to believe accurately, and then I need to represent him accurately. So at least if someone rejects the Lord, and they have the right to do that, you know, God gave us a free will. Uh, if they reject the Lord, at least they're rejecting the real God, yeah. not my religious version of him, not my tainted, tainted image of him. And so uh, Jesus now, introduced to the world, the real God. Jesus did this. He did it by the words he spoke, by how he acted, how he treated people, by the things that he taught. He presented the real God as never seen before. 
never seen with this clarity and this accuracy before on earth. Jesus did this. Paul wrote in Colossians 1 and verse 15 that he is the image, that Christ is the image of the invisible God. All right, New Living Translation said he's the visible image of the invisible God. All right, so Jesus is the numero uno placeo to go o. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that's my best Spanish. <laughs> Add an o to everything. Uh, Jesus is the number one place to go if we want to see God accurately, clearly, uh, and not confuse him with, with uh, you know, what life or experience or religion has taught us. Jesus is where we look, all right? Now, and that's kind of the emphasis of what I'm going to say the rest of the day, but in, a, in a several different ways. If I am reading the Bible, this book is different than other books. Most books, right, you're going to read from the beginning to the end. My recommendation for this book is that you don't do that. You actually start with the last third, read that, and then read the first two-thirds. And the reason for that is because the last third, or what we call the New Testament, is it contains more light, more understanding, more revelation. Things are seen more clear, clearly. And if I just read the, the old Genesis through Malachi, and I read that, I, I am likely going to come away with, a, at best, a limited view of who God is. And possibly I'll, I'll distort some things. I'll read some things that are, and I'll interpret them incorrectly. But if I start with Jesus, and then the apostles after that, if I'll start with Jesus, my eyes get open, and then I read the old, I'll have a much more likelihood of, of getting it right. Okay, not blaming God for things that he's not responsible for and so forth. And so we always want to read the old with the light of the new. Now, when it comes to Jesus... No one prior to him knew God fully. No one knew God. No one knew the Father as Jesus did. They may have known in part. They may have known some things that were true, like our text. David was correct. He is good. But they didn't know him like Jesus did. All right? Therefore, I'm not going to go say, I want to know the Lord. Let me read Job. Let me read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Naaman. You know, I don't mean I don't respect and value and believe that those words are inspired by God. I'm just saying, and I'll show you this from Scripture. I'm not making this up. They didn't know him like Jesus did. That's why I want to start with the Lord. Think about it. Even... Reading, any, reading the Bible or trying to figure out God in the context of earth life is a challenge because this earth and all of us have been tainted by sin and influenced to some degree by demonic activity and therefore we see things through that lens without a good Jesus cleaner. All right, in other words, if I want to know what God really wants, his perfect will, I can read Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, right? I can read what happened before sin entered in. And you know what I find out in those chapters? Here's a phrase that's repeated again and again. It is good. It was good. 
It was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was very good. Right? Those are the things that God was involved with without uh, sin's influence, without human interpretation. Good, 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 good. All right? Then from the rest of the book, oh, Lord. What in the world was happening there? And it does take a little bit of, you know, help to understand. It's like, what in the world? That was horrible. Why did you do this? God, why did you even say that? Here's why. Because he was dealing with a corrupt, lost, fallen world. And so things were done with that in mind. Okay, I realize that might be oversimplifying some things, but that's a general overview. But when I, come, when I get to Jesus, all of a sudden I get someone speaking about life and circumstance, and he knows what he's talking about. And he's correct about interpreting things that happen. Often people are not correct, but Jesus was always right. Okay, one example, and this is how I had you turn to Luke chapter 13. One example of this is Luke 13, verse Verses one through five, look at it with me. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. How many know that's pretty bad? Do you understand what he's saying there? Pilate killed them and used them as part of the sacrifice. So it's brutal, it's horrible. And Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? Now wait, why did Jesus pose that question? Because they did. He knows they were thinking that. These guys had, they couldn't have been living right. <laughs> I mean, they had, to, they had to be really bad people for that to happen to them. But Jesus said, verse three, I tell you, no. What? No. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Meaning, the likewise is not you're going to die exactly the same way, but you're going to perish too. Uh, or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. So I don't know if they brought this up or Jesus just added it to the equation. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all others, all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So what people have a tendency to do is, is use human reasoning and lack of understanding to explain and describe why certain tragic events happen. Jesus cuts through the chase and gives clarity. Without Jesus giving this answer, there's no doubt people would still be wondering but the problem is people are still wondering today, and this is written for us, okay? What are some common uh, assumptions when tragic things like that happen? One of them is, this is what Jesus was addressing, that it was basically God's judgment, all right? God knocked the tower down. He wiped out those people because they were really bad, and they had it coming. And, 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 and people say that today. When tragedy strikes, yeah, that's God's judgment. Now, we know Justice would make that okay in, in the sense that people do deserve uh, bad things because we've all sinned. But his answer was no. Today, I think, especially in modern church world, it is, these things are often described as 
the mystery you can't understand and that you just need to trust God that he's working out his plan. Okay, I know your relatives were sacrificed. I know that tower fell on your, you know, your cousins. And, uh, and you just need to trust that God somehow is going to bring good about. See, that's the way people do that today. And that's not correct either. All right? Jesus didn't say that. He didn't blame it on, on the fact that they were worse than everybody else. So this is clarity. This gets God off the hook. He didn't do this. Jesus didn't blame God. But this is interesting. What he did do is gave them a way of escape. He said, listen, this, here's how you can avoid these things. That happened to them? Were they worse than everybody else? No, they were just like you. But you can avoid these things. Here's how. It's called repentance. They weren't worse than you, but if you will repent, you will not have to endure these same tragic type of, of, of endings in your life. All right? It is this way of escape. Now, notice he didn't tie it. Let me say it this way. Does sin have consequence? Yes. yes. But not all events like this are directly tied to a specific sin. So, in other words, we're all subject to it. It could happen to anybody unless. In other words, there is a way of escape. If I will use the escape route of repentance, then I can avoid Tragic events like this. Yep. Hallelujah. So, someone said, well, how, 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 does, how, how does that work? Think about it. He's describing them as not worse sinners than everybody else. So people are, I do this by the direction, I frequently do this. Uh, people are traveling down a certain road, we'll call that sin. They are facing the direction of their sin. That's what they do. It's their thoughts, it's their heart, it's what they pursue in life. It is not godly, it is not God's way, it's wrong. But repentance is a change of mind. Repentance means I'm doing a 180, okay? If I repent, that means I am turning from this, and now I am looking the other way, okay? This is an inward disposition that produces outward change, but I'm looking a different way now. What am I looking at this way? The Lord his ways, listening for his word, uh, all that he's involved with. So I have, he said, you can avoid this stuff through repentance. You turn this way. What happens if I'm looking this way? I'm paying attention to God, his word, his love, his, his spirit leading us. Amen. So what, what will I have a good chance of hearing if I'm facing this way and not that way? Here's one of them. Look out for the tower. Oh, <laughs> but what if I'm facing this direction? I'm not paying attention to the Lord. I don't have a prayer life. I'm not seeking his will, not seeking first the kingdom. I I'm going this direction. And the Lord is saying, look out for the tower. But I'm binging a Netflix show right now. <laughs> What's that noise? Let me turn this up. <laughs> right? I, I mean, I haven't prayed in a week. I haven't been, but I'm busy. I mean, <laughs> He might be saying, tower, 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 or get away from Pilate. Pilate's coming to town. Get out of town. Time to take a trip. But I'm not listening to that. 
say, I'm not listening. Then the tower hits me and people say, oh, man, I guess God's just working out his plan. <laughs> no, God wasn't working out his plan. I wasn't paying attention to him. I understand, and the reason I'm addressing these things, multiple reasons. One, Jesus brings clarity for us to understand. Two, God is not, not being good when those things happen. He is still good, and he might still, he's still yelling, tower, tower, tower. Doesn't mean we're all listening. He maintains his righteousness. He's always right. He's always here to help. He always wants to do good things. And so uh, repentance then can keep people from dying because they are looking to him for direction. And warnings of impending danger are pretty frequent in Scripture. All right, when we look back at the word of God, we can say, see that Noah was, divi was divinely warned of the flood Okay, the wise men were warned about Herod. Joseph was warned not to go to Judea. Paul warned the church about future events that were coming in, people that would do them harm. It's, and that's just a few examples. Warnings are one of the methods that God, in his goodness, saves his people from trouble. All right, Here, here's... Two of those examples, Matthew 2, 12, about the wise men, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. How did God save them? Through a dream. What if they'd have said, man, that, that was just my pizza from last night. <laughs> I had this weird dream that we should like not go that way, but go this way. Ah, let's just go then they would have died and people would have said, oh, the Lord needed more wise men in heaven. <laughs> the Lord needed another flower in his garden, another voice in his choir. The Lord, and they would have blamed all kinds of things that would have been 100% wrong. They might have started a denomination around it. <laughs> right? Come up with a whole new doctrinal statement based on something that was wrong based on lack of knowledge, not information. In Acts 20, and you can read the other parts here about the people, Paul said the pe these people that would be coming in to do him harm. He said, therefore watch in verse 31, and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Three years he warned them. Three years he, he did what? He warned them about what was coming. Say, Paul, I thought you were a man of prayer. Why don't you just pray this away? Why don't you pray these wolves out of the church so they won't harm us? Hallelujah. That's not the way it always works. Many times God's goodness is manifest and he saves us and helps us by warning us. I don't need to have te mean to have testimony time right now or anything, but has anyone, anybody ever been warned and you disregarded the warning? And you went on your way and it cost you. It cost you money or relationships or health or problems or whatever. It cost you and you were done. You said, I should have obeyed God. I knew he, he warned me about this. And now, man, 
The good thing is he's merciful, but some situations come and there's no explanation after the fact because the tower fell on you and you can't exactly tell your story. The rest of us are, you know, resigned to try to figure out what in the world happened. I just don't understand. But God will warn people. Let me say this another way. It should be clear to us that God doesn't always stop the bad guys. I can see that in these examples. I can see this in Jesus' ministry that there were times when, because people were against him, he, he was like popular and unpopular. People loved him and also people hated him, right? And so he would preach and people would get mad that one day they tried to throw him off a cliff, right? And it says he walked right through the middle of them. So that was most certainly God's hand and God's delivering power to stop them from, from getting him. But you read his, his life and ministry, other times he avoided the problem. He said, no, let's not go there right now because they were out to kill him. And so he would go around or he would stay. He would avoid situations. He didn't always go marching through and say, well, bless God, I'll, I'll do that whole cliff thing <laughs> with them again. Right. Or I'll just say I am and knock them all down. Yeah. Right? No, that wasn't always his method. If it wasn't for Jesus, it won't be for us. Yeah. So that's why when, 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 we've got to have this relationship with God where we've turned our back on the world and we're looking to him daily. We have a living relationship with him so that he can get through to us. And we will hear when he's talking to us and he will save us from hardship and, 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 and so many bad things. Amen. So again, God's not always stopping the bad guys, but he is warning us. Now, Luke chapter 10, uh, would you look at that with me as well? Luke, the 10th chapter. This is kind of the scripture I was, I'm getting most of the message from today. It's very powerful. Luke chapter 10 and verse 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, so he's praying, he's shouting, he's happy camper here. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. So in other words, children. Even so, Father, for it so it seemed good in your sight. So you can see how God thinks. He likes to give things to people who don't think they're so smart, who are not all proud. And I got this figured out. He gives to humble people. All, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father. And who the, father, who the Father is except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Did you notice that statement? Jesus said, no one knows who the Father is but me, the Son. No one knows who the Father is. Jesus, what about like Isaiah? Didn't he know? No, no one. What about Jeremiah? He was a man of God, a prophet of God. Certainly he knew who the Father was. Jesus said, no one knows who the Father is. I do. It doesn't mean they didn't know some things. They most certainly had revelation and God spoke to them and told them of things to come. But when you read, uh, I don't have time to go into this today, but Jesus said that prophets and kings of old, they longed, he was talking to them, he said, they wanted to see what you see. They wanted to hear what you hear, but they never did. 
There was a lot of stuff. Go to the first two-thirds of the book. There was a lot of stuff that was never opened up to them. It was never revealed. They wanted to see it. They wanted to hear it. No, nope, you're not getting it. But Jesus said, now you guys have it. And they had God in the flesh explaining things to them, telling, th telling them the way things were. But this is what's so interesting. No one knows the Father but the Son. So that being the case, we know we cannot figure God out. It, when I pose the question, as we stated it in a question, the real God, none of us are going to figure him out. We're not going to get the brightest minds together, the highest IQs. We're going to all get in, get in a room, and we're going to lay out a document and say, we have figured him out. This is God. No one can do that. In fact, you'd be more apt to come up with the right uh, solution and explanation if you got a bunch of kids in the room. Now, that'll, that'll stick it to your pride, huh? Yeah, that's right. You and your degrees. <laughs> Little Johnny comes in there and says, well, I know him because he showed me this, right? And that's what Jesus said. The Father was pleased to do this with those who were humble, those who would come and approach his children. But again, I can't study hard enough to figure him out. I need humbly to come before him and ask. I need to seek him for understanding, but in doing so, watch, I'm never going to bypass his ways and arrive at truth. And Jesus said this. Many of you know this. John 14, 6, you know that one? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. I'm never going to skirt Jesus and arrive at the Father. So I found God. No, you didn't. You found fake God. God. Now watch. Not only is he the person, the doorway, the entrance into the kingdom and into the Father's love, he is also the clear picture and demonstration of who the Father is. So how do I see the Father? Again, that's a hard image for us to imagine the invisible but I can see Jesus through the words. I can see him, him, his, what he said, what he did, how he treated people. I can see Jesus. What did I just learn there? The Father. He is that perfect image of the, of the Father. In fact, Jesus had confrontational discussions at times with people, usually the religious people. And uh, one day in as recorded in John chapter 5, he confronted them about their deep study. And he said, listen, you guys, you search the scriptures, verse 39, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of, of me. But, he said, he said but, but, but you won't come to me. Verse 40, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So what are they doing? They're the brightest, the sharpest, the most spiritual. The, they're studying. They're reading the scriptures. They're studying day and night to try to understand the, thing, the ways of God, the things of God. And Jesus said, you searched, you searched, you searched. They were talking about me. And you never found me. Wow. That tells me that my approach to knowing God and seeking and finding truth cannot be arrogant, 
cannot be self-focused, cannot be I'm going to figure him out. It has to be humility. It has to be looking at Jesus and saying, Lord, show me the Father. And then my heart is opened. Then my life is open. If I'm willing, now I can know him. If I don't, if I'm not, I'll believe my own arguments. I'll tell people off and I'll have, I'll have you know, social media discussions with people and blam, 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 and, you know, arguing theology and all kinds of stuff. I'm not really interested. I, I want to know, do you know him? If you do, how do you know him? Only because the Lord revealed him. And when that's the case, it doesn't produce pride. You don't come away from a real experience with God banging your chest, you know, Tarzan. You don't come away from a real experience with God thinking, I am so smart. I'm totally going to win all the arguments now. You're just going to be, you know, what did Isaiah say? Woe is me, or Jeremiah, woe is me for I am undone. It's like, wow, I can tell you he's awesome, he's good. He's love. He's any revelation will not set us up to boast. That's why people's interpretation, remember when Paul said he had that thorn and he said, lest I be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. Some translations have messed that up and they said, lest I be filled with pride and arrogance. It's a wrong translation. Exalted above measure does not always mean proud and arrogant. It means advanced and successful. He was having such success. Revelation doesn't produce pride. Revelation produces humility. The lack of revelation produces pride. The more we do not read the word, the more we think we do. The more, the less of a prayer life we have, the more we think we're okay. (laughs) Without it. We think, oh yeah, but I'm still good. But the more you talk to the Lord, you realize how, how necessary it is to have daily communication with him. The more you read the word, you, you recognize, man, I would be toast if I didn't do that. I would be, deep, I would be without it. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. A lot of times people who don't go to church like a lot, they're deceived in their actions. They believe that they're better off. And I don't mean this in any kind of harsh way. You're not. You're not better off. The better off is, is deceit, deception. That belief. You're better off. Connected, tight, close, active. Receiving on a continual regular and giving out and pouring out. We're better off. I didn't plan on saying any of that. But let me try to finish this today. Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples in, in, in John chapter 14, and they were wanting to know the, the, the Father, Philip, and was saying these things. In John 14, 7, Jesus said, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you for so long and yet you, you have not known me, Philip? 
He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. That's why we can say, if we want to know God, look at Jesus. He's the image of God. It's why whenever we try to draw a real distinction, I know there's two separate persons. There's three persons in the Godhead as described in Scripture, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But I can't draw a line between the Father and Jesus and show how they're different because he said we're not different. If someone said, uh, you better watch out, you better watch your behavior or God's going to get you. Ever heard that? God's going to get you. If you ever noticed, I've never heard anyone say, you better watch out. You better knock it off or Jesus is going to get you. <laughs> and one of the reasons we hear the one but not the other is because of a faulty view. People sometimes think of the father as harsh, mean, out to get you. But Jesus, he's compassionate. Jesus, he's my guy. Jesus is nice, he's sweet, he's loving. Jesus said, if you've seen me, Philip, come on, man. Philip, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. In other words, he's just like me. You've been spending all this time with me day in and day out. You see what I say. You see how I act. You see how I speak, how I treat people. You see how no one has ever come to me with a sickness and I turned them away. Not one. That's the Father. Because I didn't do that of my own idea. I'm doing everything the Father shows me. So, so watch. Be, have some discernment when you watch TV shows, even the good ones, like lots of people love that Chosen show. Okay? Ha, still have discernment, because it's often man's interpretation. And so you can enjoy it if you want, but when you see, and I, I just saw this clip some time back, that Jesus was denying one of his disciples healing. That never happened. It did, not only didn't happen with his disciples, it didn't happen with anybody else. There's not one example, not one of someone coming to Jesus seeking healing and he turned them away. Not even one example. So if, if God ever does that, then Jesus would have done it. How do I know what God is? How do I know what the Father is like? I look at Jesus. He clears up the mess. He dispels the confusion. I leave Jesus saying, God is good. Whatever David saw, whatever he experienced, he made that declaration in the psalm, he was right. And Jesus put the exclamation point on it. And he said these things again and again and again. And so I never want to have an image of God a view of the Father doing something. And I like, maybe I just ought to say God because Father shows kindness and mercy to that very word. We think often correctly about that. But the word God, G-O-D, sometimes we misinterpret. And we think God is a certain way. Can you imagine Jesus doing it? Do you envision Jesus treating people the way that you think that God is treating people? And that's why I say, let's read the whole Bible through Jesus. Let's get to the Father 
through the way, truth, and the life, through Jesus. When we pray, we know the Father's heart. We know, we know God's heart towards us. It's Jesus. Amen. Amen? Amen? And in this, our faith will soar, and we'll be, I mean, we'll be able to accurately and, and, and correctly represent him to the world. And we can, you can look at someone, even someone mean or someone in a mess, someone that society says they're not worth anything. And you think, well, what does God think about that person? How would Jesus treat them? What do you think Jesus would do to that person? Would he say, you're not worth it? Because he shed his blood for them. And so it would fill our hearts with, with the compassion of the Lord to see things through his eyes. Amen. Amen. Father, today, I thank you for what you're doing in here. You are helping us. You are helping your people. And we ask, Father, like kids, we're coming before you today. Not with our touting our own education or brilliance or experience, but as children, we ask you, show yourself to us through Jesus. Lord Jesus, show us the Father.